Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. It's a hub for the arts in Southeast Baltimore, known for its famous marquee on Eastern Avenue. The Creative Alliance helps build community by bringing together artists and audiences from diverse backgrounds. This episode of the Free to Be More podcast, we're talking about a major expansion for the organization as they continue to make an impact in Baltimore. Tinku Bhattacharya is the performance director at the Creative Alliance. Tinku, thanks so much for joining us. Hi there. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. So for people who are unfamiliar with the Creative Alliance, tell me a little bit about the organization. Okay. So the Creative Alliance is a, we're a community performing arts center and cultural hub in Southeast Baltimore. We're based in Highland Town and we are in the location of the Patterson Theatre, which historically was a movie theatre in the neighborhood. We've also just recently expanded across the road to open up our creativity centre, which is right on the border of Highland Town, Canton. Mm -hmm. I drive by you guys every single day on my way to work and home. So it's been great to see the expansion. What is the history of the organisation? I know in Baltimore, you guys started back in the 1990s. Yes, my understanding is we started as a like an arts collective in Fells Point and have expanded quite organically and beautifully from there. What are some of the programs and things that people would know the organization for? Well, we have a lot of programs that go back 10, 12 years now. So I think one of our big flagship events would be Cranky Festival, which historically happens every January. We also have the Great Halloween Lantern Parade, which we hold in Patterson Park every year. And we also have the Baltimore Kite Fest, which has just passed. So I think they are some of the things that people will know us for very much in, in the neighborhood. Talk to me a little bit about your involvement with the Creative Alliance, what you do with them, and how you first got started with the organization. Okay, so um, I've known Creative Alliance for a long time. So my background prior to this has been predominantly in artist management. So for many years, going back to, I think, 2014, I was dealing with my predecessor, Josh Cohn, who's just a wonderful programmer in this region. So I was bringing some of my clients to Baltimore through him, and then By the grace of God and the pandemic, my husband and I wound up in Baltimore absolutely by accident and fell in love with the place. And we we moved to Canton. So suddenly the creative lines became this big part of our life. At that Mm -hmm. point, everything was locked down in 2020. There was all of these great sidewalk serenades. Mm -hmm. And there was virtual programming. So although the venue was closed, you could still access some of the art exhibitions. And for me, coming out of New York, where we had a lot culturally going on, it was just really nice to have this right on my doorstep. And then it was just fortuitous that aligned with Josh taking his next steps on to set up his own nonprofit. And I got the great opportunity last year to come in as the program director. Uh As a program director, what are some of the things you do at the organization? It seems like a very big title for an organization that hosts so many amazing programs. Well, yes. Well, technically, most of what I do falls under performance. So Uh I tend to look after the theater stage. Uh, So that will involve everything from programming local, regional and international music performers 
to putting on a very curated festival like Cranky Festival, which is a multimedia music and arts based festival. And I also program a lot of cabaret in there as well. So we do everything from comedy to burlesque to drag shows. And then I tend to program satellite education programs around what I'm doing in the theatre. So, for instance, we just had our big Viva Brazil party, which is an annual party that's gone on for a number of years now, I think five or six years. And this year we did a lot of um, family programming around that. So we had Brazilian dance workshops, we had capoeira workshops. So I do tend to span into some areas that are just a little bit outside of theatre programming. But I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the beauties of our organisation is we're trying to help people reach beyond just a performance and being entertained. Like how do we help our audience immerse in more cultural experiences. So we try and do that through collaborations between our different departments, whether that's in visual arts and performance or performance and education, to try and offer these other abilities to dig deeper, whether that's an arts and craft workshop or a dance workshop or even something like a cooking workshop. So like any small organisation, you tend to have to like collaborate quite heavily with other departments. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's one of the really fun things about what we do at Creative Alliance as well. Yeah, you mentioned the impact of the pandemic. I imagine, especially at the very beginning, had to be incredibly difficult when you're talking about a place that does live performances. And you mentioned the sidewalk serenades. Tell me a little bit about how the organization was able to pivot and some of those programs that you threw and maybe some of the ones that you're going to keep doing because they were successful. (laughs) Well, I think the the Sidewalk Serenades program to me was one of the biggest pivots that the organisation did very successfully because it was very much based upon how do we keep this creative community working? Mm -hmm. How do we create other opportunities for them to pay their rent and put food on their tables? So, and, And also I think it was a big testament to the relationship that's been built up with the local neighbourhood because it was very well supported by our neighbours and friends, you know, in our immediate environment. So the programme allowed us to bring paid opportunities to the predominantly musicians, but some of the serenades we did with dancers and other performers too. But it also allowed us to tap in where it was possible into other programmes in the city. So we worked with BOPA to provide some sidewalk serenades in other parts of the city as well as free programming. And then we were doing performances everywhere from Canton and Highland Town right to the county board, you know, the county line at Baltimore uh-huh. County, for, which were paid performances. And the opportunity was that over the course of a day, a performer could do multiple short performances at different parts of the neighbourhood. Now, that is one programme that we carried on last year as much as things were opening up from the pandemic there was still a lot of caution, people that had young families, people that were older, um, you know, people with underlying conditions, they weren't necessarily all ready to come back into the theatre. So programmes like the Sidewalk Serenades actually continued to be very important for some parts of our audience, as well as the musicians actually just loved the opportunity of being able to do this. So that's one side. The other side that I'm very proud that we've managed to sustain is the organisation had to pivot quite heavily to doing virtual programming 
during the pandemic. And we did think as things started to open up that there would be less demand for that. Mm-hmm. But again, people have different comfort zones and you know, the thing that's been very encouraging is we've been able to offer virtual programming for programs that historically were always in person. So we broadcast Cranky Festival this year for the first time. And, you know, we smashed our expectations. We had 120 people come to the virtual performance. And we had a lot of people in the neighborhood saying to us, you know, thank you for providing this alternative. Because, mm-hmm. you know, especially at that time when people were, tra- you know, coming out of the holidays and had traveled a lot, mm-hmm. people were worried about you know, am I safe to come to the venue or, you know, I have to go and see my my mum next week because, you know, so being able to expand on those sides of our programming, which in turn, I think just makes us more accessible, which whether we have a pandemic or not, I think is something that's very important. So we definitely have some programming that we're planning to carry forward from that time, as much as we're very, very excited to see audiences back in the venue. Summer Break Baltimore is coming back to the Pratt Library, June 1st to August 31st. Sign up at any Pratt location and receive a free limited edition t-shirt while supplies last. All participants get a free book every month in June, July, and August. Attend free fun family programs all summer long. More details at prattlibrary.org. Yeah, I was going to say, what has that experience been like? What was that sort of the first show where you had people come back in and how did it feel to actually see people sitting in the seats again? You know, it it always feels good, even if your comfort zone is cautious. Um, The the first show, so when I I started the job on January 3rd last year, the first thing I did in my first week was cancel all my shows in January, February (laughs) because of Omicron. (laughs) Uh, So the first show that we actually managed to put on was on January the 29th with uh, Riley Walker. Uh And it's one of those shows, I think, that anyone who was at it will always remember how poignant it was because it was a very intimate audience. Uh People were still very, very cautious. And so we were treated to this very intimate, you know, audience with the artist and, you know, the creativity sort of made up for what we lacked in numbers. But then two weeks later, we have our Django Fest and then we had Old Time Festival and they went to the other extreme. Suddenly we were sold out. Uh-huh. And that was a different leap in comfort zones because you had like some people that were comfortable with masks and some people that weren't comfortable uh-huh. with masks. And <laughs> but again, again, you know, the fact that we had these alternatives, so you could also, we live streamed those events as well. So it was possible for the people that had bought a ticket and who maybe turned up and said, okay, I'm not so comfortable with how busy we are in here. Uh-huh. They were able to exchange their tickets for a virtual ticket. Um, where it was a little more challenging was things like Viva Brazil, you know, because our dance parties are even busier again. And uh-huh. there's a lot of close contacts in those parties so we had to make the tough decision last year to not do Viva Brazil so it was even more exciting to actually do it this year and we had one of our biggest audiences yet for it so (laughs) that's wonderful that's always so exciting especially when everybody's coming back together to kind of celebrate something that they've missed for a while so exactly 
you guys, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Creative Alliance has expanded significantly just last year, opening the new Creativity Center across the street. So talk to me a little bit about the Creativity Center. How did that come to be? How did that idea even start? Well, I think the building's been a long time in the planning. I I think it goes back 10 years, probably beyond most of the staff that are here now. So it's been a long process, but I came on just at the point I think when I came on board last year, we just about hit our funding target. So we were able to kind of complete the building. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of like philosophically, the genesis of the idea is the Creativity Centre is supposed to be a place that welcomes people of all ages to experience art and culture at a more visceral level than Mm -hmm. just a performance. You know, we firmly believe that art should be accessible to everyone and we want to be a place that people look to for experiencing new levels of creativity. And I think, you know, that's part of what we try to build into the architecture of the building. We have these huge glass windows that allow people to see what's happening inside the building as you drive past. Um, Our downstairs classroom has this garage door that opens up and literally welcomes the community right, you know, right to the art classes that we have there each weekend, like Kerplunk or our after-school programs like Open Minds. And right now it's an interesting time because we're getting to experiment and test lots of different types of programming to see what works and what the community needs are. And we think that's important because, you know, the dynamics in the city are shifting a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of that was already in motion pre-pandemic, but, you know, we are seeing a lot of families with young children staying in the city, especially around neighbourhoods like Patterson Park. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping to make a home for them and just somewhere that they feel comfortable coming and feel some identity towards. And we're also focused on translating some of our programmes and classes into Spanish, which is really important for the dire yeah. needs of our community. So, you know, so far it's been exciting and it's been exciting to see people you know, responding very positively to learning about other cultures and trying to kind of build those interpersonal bridges and understanding with what we're doing. And, you know, that's very important to our our mission here. So really, that's what we're trying to bring to life now is this idea of us being this space for people to connect and learn from each other and just to make, you know, Baltimore a stronger and, and more welcoming city. Mm-hmm. For someone who hasn't been inside the new Creativity Center yet, you spoke a little bit about the architecture, but what is inside? I know there's dance studios, that type of thing. When people come in, what can they expect? Okay, so we have uh, we have great facilities there. On the second floor, we have a dance studio that is is beautiful. It's got a beautiful sprung floor and and bars and mirrors for ballet and and. And we're also planning to make that into a performance space as well. We have a downstairs classroom. And like I mentioned, we have these big garage doors that open up from that classroom. We just had Old Time Festival in there and we did some workshop programming. And it was great to be able to have those doors open on a beautiful spring day and have a music workshop going on in that space so people could actually see what was happening. Um, We also have a classroom upstairs. It's slightly smaller than the one downstairs, but it also caters for, um, you know, if people want to do workshop presentations or we're doing community meetings that need, you know, a screen and and 
a presentation apparatus like that room is set up for that mm-hmm. then we have downstairs at the back of the building we have a beautiful teaching kitchen which is very exciting because again like you know food next to you know music and other cultural things is definitely a cultural connector so we're, we're very excited about having that space um, so that's really uh, the two the two classrooms, the dance studio and the teaching kitchen. What are some of the classes that are being offered there now and how are people able to participate? Are there fees? How does it work? Well, we have a, a wide variety of opportunities. We have some free programming, some paid programming. So uh-huh. right now we have Baltimore Free Yoga running a weekly free yoga program on a Thursday evening mm-hmm. that's carrying on through April and then we will be starting it back up in the fall mm-hmm. we have also have free family events uh, just now we're trying a number of different things so we we've recently had a free family square dance that we held as part of our old time festival and we've had other educational events like volunteer lawyers from the arts coming in to do free workshops for artists and then on the paid side we've had a wide variety of things so we've had like Spanish story time singing Spanish story time for children we've had capoeira and samba classes we have art classes run by our artisanas who are part of our Cielo program Mm -hmm. which is our Latin American program in Highland Town and then we've done food workshops we've done like sushi making workshops yeah how fun Uh, yeah no no it's 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 really we're lucky you know I feel very lucky to come on at this time where we actually have great resources and we can experiment and then you know music workshops we just had an incredible drum masterclass which we opened up free to the community with Mark Juliana who played on David Bowie's last album and we're about to launch ukulele classes uh, through May so slowly but surely we're working up and building up a nice arsenal of a different variety of of activities in that space. Mm -hmm. What has the community reaction really been to the new center? How excited are people to have this right in their neighborhood? Oh, people are very excited, whether it's our, you know, our personal neighbours or or the businesses around us. It's definitely helped generate some business for other local, small, independent mm-hmm. businesses like the coffee shop next door or the restaurants, Matthew's Pizzas, people like this. But we've also had a lot of just young people that are in the neighbourhood, young families that are like, hey, you know, this is great. There's somewhere I can bring my kids to learn about, you know, go-go music in D.C. or come and do, a, you know, a, a Mexican dance class or even a Tahitian dance class, you know. And and I think because we're so visible from an architectural point of view and it's creating a lot of light and space in that street, it also... I think it's making people just feel a little bit safer, mm-hmm. you know, coming and going at different times of the day because we always have a lot of, you know, when we have shows on and we have workshops, we it's a busy area. So, it you know, it feels safe to be there. So, so far, the, the you know, our, our community just really has been very, very supportive. Yeah, and the, sorry, the, the, I just wanted to say the other side of it is we are finding a lot of the artists who we might not have known in the neighborhoods before because 
you know, there's a lot of people that have other skill sets beyond maybe their day job. So whether that's um, different types of art classes or, like I say, the community yoga is finding that people actually also in, in the neighbourhood see it as an opportunity for them to be able to do something or create something themselves. Mm-hmm. That's been very exciting. The Pratt Library is now introducing Final Fridays, a fun free after-hours program for adults on the last Friday of every month at the Central Library. Check out prattlibrary.org to find out what's happening this month. You're free to be more at the Pratt. It's so interesting because it's, you know, spreading the arts through the community, but it's also been an economic engine for that community and an economic engine for the arts community. How much um, is the Creative Alliance really job generating for some of these artists, even coming in and out of the pandemic? Well, I, I think we're we're playing a growing role in that area. So our Artisanas program, which runs under Cielo, that has created a lot of job opportunities for different art practitioners who are within our Artisanas Mexicanas family. So we and and not not just workshop practitioners, but small restaurants in the neighborhood, we've been able to create opportunities for them to vend at our bigger festivals and generate for their businesses mm-hmm. uh, we did that quite successfully recently at kite fest um mm-hmm. which is again some free programming that we're providing to the community but creates this tangible ability for someone to grow their business and you know make their money and then we're also doing different workshop programming in partnership with other nonprofits in Baltimore. So, and and beyond, actually, with the, each week, every time I look at what the artisanas do, they're out of state doing workshops, um, creating other opportunities with other partners like Baltimore Soundstage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I do think we play a great part in that role. And we also have our Teen Council Initiative, which is something that we've been doing since 2017 in conjunction with YouthWorks and Southeast Youth Collaborative Program in Baltimore. Um, There's, I think there's eight or nine organizations that are involved in that collaboration. That includes the Southeast CDC, Uh the Bank Neighborhoods, Friends of Patterson Park. And we have a summer program that allows, it's a paid program for the teenagers to come in and get on, you know, on the job training and experience the arts from that behind the stage scenes. And we see a lot of retention from these programs. I mean, we have some people in our artisanist program that literally grew up in the organization. One wonderful young lady, Lily Mancia, actually started as a child and now she has a part-time job in the organization. So, you know, we're we're definitely creating opportunities. And and I think, again, as you, you talked about, you know, how did we pivot in the pandemic? And, you know, I, I think every arts organization has to really think about the longevity mm-hmm. of some of the pivots they're making and the why behind them. You know, I think it's becoming more and more important to have work placement oriented accessibility to yeah. the arts. And across every sector of it. So, you know, right now I'm talking to Towson Jazz Programme, for instance, a lot of their students want to come and get experience on event management, for instance. Uh-huh. So, you know, I think we can't run before we can walk, but I think having that intention really built in 
as we move forward to not just program great entertainment, but to also bring these tangible opportunities to the Baltimore creative community, I think is is going to be a big factor in our success moving forward. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some of the programs that you do for young people and teens. Why is it so important? You know, we're in an era right now where schools are having trouble with funding and arts programs are being cut left and right. How vital is it, especially in a city like Baltimore, for young people to be exposed to the arts that are truly so healing, especially with some of our children in an environment that they desperately need healing? It's so important. And and I can say that I grew up in Scotland as probably one of the last generation that very much had music in uh-huh. art schools. And, you know, I would not be doing what I was doing today if I had not had the opportunities growing up to learn a musical instrument and take part in theatre and and do dance and and, and things like this. And I lived in London for many years as well and was very much involved in grassroots organisations that were trying to create tangible opportunities for young people to give them an alternative to, you know, whatever, being on the street, not having something to do. And, you know, and, and Baltimore's no different. Like, we can't expect our children to feel that they have any control or confidence in, in growing up and moving forward if we don't nurture them, you right. know? And I think in this environment where it's easy to, kids have grown up in front of game stations or maybe they've grown up in an environment where they haven't had much provided for them, it's really important that art is accessible to everyone because you know, we do have a lot of trauma to heal from. You know, there's the tangible side of it and there's there's everything else. You know, the arts do heal and arts mm-hmm. provide a vehicle for people to deal with their trauma in more positive manners. So I think that just that vehicle, that place that people can express themselves is something that's very important. But I also think, you know, being able to provide opportunities for children to learn other skills or feel confident about expressing themselves. I think this is at the core of mental health, mm-hmm. you know, so I do believe that it's more important now than ever to make sure that that's an area that we're expanding in and that we're trying to encourage, you know, schools and other partners to to keep involved in. So, you know, even for us, for instance, um, we have the old time festival every year. Um, but for the type of music it is, it's predominantly a much older audience that come. And, and that's great. But, you know, there's a young group of musicians and children in the neighborhood that are accessing this music from different places. And they don't often have the opportunity to experience it in a visceral way. So for instance, this year we decided, okay, the kids aren't going to be able to come to a square dance at 10 o'clock at night, but we Uh can have family square dance at 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, so I I, I don't think in my entire career I've seen a bad experience or a bad outcome of a young person being involved or immersed or exposed to the arts. It's really interesting. Shocker. I work at a library. And so I was just reading the book, uh, The Body Keeps Score, which is on all the bestseller lists. And it is about trauma. And there's just chapter after chapter about how the arts 
can heal childhood trauma. And it's just so beautiful. So the work you guys are doing truly is making a difference. Um, We talked about the Creativity Center. I do want to get to the Patterson. What can people expect from the Patterson Theater, the original location for Creative Alliance? Well, right now, it's it's great to see our programme getting back to what it was at at pre-pandemic levels. I think a lot of people miss us having regular programming because even last year, I think we were only operating at maybe like 50% of -hmm. our capacity. So right now it's great. I'm actually having a lot of fun as the performance director. We've had some great and, and across the board types of music and performance in there, even just in this first quarter. So like I say, we had Cranky Fest at the start of the year, which is this great opportunity to experience a very unique side of Baltimore. Uh, it really is. I don't think I've ever seen anything like Cranky Fest. <laughs> It's a very magical thing. But then we've also been able to bring some more youth facing artists in. So like I say, we had Mark Juliana here last mm-hmm. week. Um, he We had a sold out show with him. And we also managed to offer a free drum clinic. Um, we have comedy. We've just had Elvis Birthday Fight Club, which, as I understand, is a, a DMV institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the funniest shows that I've ever seen as well, actually, if you've never experienced it, it's, it's well worth coming to. And then we have a lot of um, other great music coming up. One of the series that we're very excited about, which will run throughout the year, is our Hear Her Voice series. We, we were very inspired by this year's Women's History Month theme, which was about amplifying the voices and stories of women who tell the stories. So we have expanded that throughout the year to include um, in our women and our female identifying creative partners. And we just have a big variety of incredible artists coming up that will play under, under that series. So we have Alison Crockett, who's this incredible singer from D.C. She's coming in April and she will be celebrating Shaka Khan, who I think a lot of us will know from different parts of the music experience. But what we'll be doing is digging into her jazz roots, which is something that is less traveled. We also have this incredible award winning harpist called Brandy Younger, who will be coming in June and she will be celebrating this incredible legacy of a musician called Dorothy Ashby, who is primarily one of our our first and foremost Black harpists in the world and was very seminal in the 60s and 70s in pop music playing for people like Stevie Wonder and and, and people like that. So we're doing a celebration of her legacy Uh in June And we also have this incredible artist coming from Australia via Papua New Guinea called Nairi. She is just phenomenal. And and again, talk about trauma. She is uh, an artist who had to overcome blastoma, you know, quite a debilitating side of of cancer. Um, She was also in Australian Idol and Basically had to overcome the trauma of being, you know, sort of forced very publicly into this this very superficial, you know, place and Mm -hmm. then trying to rebuild from that as a credible artist. Mm -hmm. And she is someone who's very connected to her Indigenous roots, but she expresses them in more contemporary mediums. So some people, I don't know if you remember the drama that was on TV, Queen Sugar, and she had music in the Queen Sugar. Yeah, yeah, Avril DuVernay is like a a big 
Uh, and Easter, sorry, Easter Rave, sorry, is, is a big fan of her. And mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about her because I'm very excited about not just bringing Indigenous art from different cultures to Baltimore, but looking at the intergenerational component of how those arts are expressed. Mm-hmm. You know, because you can be an Indigenous artist, but you can use hip-hop or soul music or jazz music to express yourself. And and I think, you know, as we look at younger artists and audiences, we see a lot more of that coming up. So I'm really excited about having quite a few of those kind of cultural connectors coming in our programme. And then um, at the other end of the year, we have... Some incredible things that we're going to be working on for the first time. We are going to be putting on the inaugural Charm City Burlesque and Variety Festival in September, which is, again, it's a beautiful opportunity for partnering with many different organisations in Baltimore. So, yeah, I could take a whole hour and tell you. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you guys have a lot of great things coming up, which is really exciting. Um, I want to ask one last question, um, sort of looking towards the future, the distant future. What is your hope for the Creative Alliance in Baltimore? Well, I hope that we really can continue to be a more powerful force, not just for audiences, but as a hub for artists and an organization that serves them well to help take them to other opportunities Mm -hmm. because I do I think whether you're looking at visual arts or if you're looking at music and dance we ask a lot of our creators Mm -hmm. you know I don't think we always realize that you know there's a human being attached to great art and you know they have to pay their rent they have to be able to like you know provide for their futures and I just you know my my background is in artist management Mm -hmm. and one of the things that's really important for me is that we look beyond the stage when we're trying to help build an artist's career because, you know, careers need to be broad enough and have enough different revenue streams to help the artist actually have a tangible functioning business. Yeah. And I think sometimes like we tend to romanticize the arts a little yeah. bit too much. And we're like, oh, you know, the artists, they're not they, they they're expressing themselves and we don't really talk to them or empower them as businesses. Uh-huh. You know, so for instance, um again, you I don't know if this is going too far off topic, but you know, I I um as a performing arts center, we pay out performance rights for uh-huh. every show that we do. But I know a lot of artists who have no idea how they access that money. Sure. So, you know, I see as we continue to develop that I want us to be that resource and be that hub for artists beyond just getting a chance to play in our stage or exhibit in our galleries. Mm-hmm. I want them to feel that we can be a tangible resource that help them build healthy careers. Mm-hmm. And Tico, how can people find out more about the Creative Alliance? The easiest way to find out is, I mean, come along, try and sample one of our shows or our workshops. Like I say, we do have quite a lot of free programming right now. Come and talk to us. We're open on Fridays and Saturdays. When we don't have shows, we're open on a Friday afternoon and a Saturday afternoon. Uh And we also have a lot of information on our website about our different programs and all of our contacts are there. So we are completely open to hearing from people and what they would like to see in the space mm-hmm. or how they'd like to interact with us. And yeah, I think we, we have a number of different ways for people to get in touch. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, you too. This has been so much fun. Thank you. You you do some incredible work as well. It's been really, it's been so interesting for me to come to Baltimore and just, um, I, I don't know if this makes sense to you, but community really means something in Baltimore. Uh-huh. And that, you know, when you move somewhere, not out of design, but out of like, necessity and you don't really think about yeah. it like it's it's that's the thing that overwhelmed me with Baltimore was just like really the community and neighbor neighbor means something to be someone's yeah. neighbor and and I see that your organization I mean it, it's it's just incredible the work you do no matter what neighborhood I'm looking at yes. And we are neighbors. Southeast Anchor Library is right down the street. So. Yeah. yeah, well, so again, that's very much the, the, the place my, we came and voted when, um, you know, yes, we were yep. in the neighborhood. So. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for your time. You too. All the best. Thanks. Have a good one. The Ticket to Discovery Book Club returns in May to the Pratt. Children fifth grade and under can visit any Pratt location in May and pick up a special bookmark while supplies last. Read five books about discovery and earn four free tickets to Port Discovery Children's Museum. More information at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow The Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another free-to-be-more conversation. Thanks for listening.